speak better than the last me. Uh-huh. All I can fit was spreading the truth and compassion. Uh-huh. And whenever they ask him, I be, I be, I be praising. I be, I be, I be. You just heard Praisin from the album The Intro by Denise LaShawn. Go check out Denise LaShawn's music on Spotify or any other music site. Hi, my name is Margaret, and you have ventured your way into the beautiful Collision podcast. I believe when the good and amazing, great parts of your life collide with the bad, messy, and hard parts of your life, they make you into the beautiful and amazing person that you are. On this podcast, you're going to hear stories of people from all walks of life, and my hope is that you resonate with some and embrace your own story. This episode, we talk on an, on a very important issue, which is race in America. She is a white American, and she talks about her journey in the last few years of being woke to this reality, her realizing white privilege and her own white privilege, the art of lamenting, and how silence on this issue kills. She really speaks to the majority culture in this episode as a wake-up to the reality of race, and how as a Christian, she believes that this is deeply rooted in the gospel. All right, y'all, let's do this. Hey, Drew. Hey. (laughs) How you doing? I'm great. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Here it goes, y'all. Here it goes. And... Just to preface, I mean, you're going to figure this out in the podcast, but I'm African-American and Drew's white, so yep. um, so yep. it's this has been a really good and um, conversation we've had over the last few years, actually. Okay, so Drew, I know that yeah. you are super passionate um, about racial reconciliation, and, and I want to kind of walk through that, how this came about, how you... Um, just even started realizing this issue in your own life and just in the life of our world. So my first question for you is what um, triggered this desire for just racial reconciliation, learning about race, learning about culture? Um, Walk me through that. When did it start? Yeah. Um, So it really um, came about through um, the Lindsay's Institute conference, which is, um, basically um, put together through AIA Athletes in Action staff members um, that uh, about three years ago I attended. Um, Yeah, November 2014, so almost three years ago. Um, And this conference is a five-day intensive conference that was, um, like I said, formed by AIA staff members where it it was created because this, this institute exists to help the people of God fight for oneness um, by influencing the way Christian leaders see, understand, and act in our ethnically and culturally diverse world. Right. And so it's really where, you know, we're, we're taking into consideration our own lenses, um, per se. In other words, like how we see, how we understand, and how we act in our world, because the lenses through which we all see the world is unique to each of our own you know, personal experiences, right. family back, 
found, national history, cultural context, ethnic identity, like it all plays a vital role, whether we realize it or not, in shaping how we view the world. And so the Lenses Conference comes in um, all with the intent to help us see and love and serve the people around us the way that God does. And so yeah. I went to that conference, um, you know, almost three years ago. I went in I went in one way and I came out of it <laughs> just completely wrecked and changed forever. Um so I have a question for you. So did you have any ex- expectations going into it? Did you even know what to expect at all? Did you know like had you done any research on it or you were just like I have to do this for work or for my job because I'm on staff. Right. Yep. Um yeah, not really. So it, it, it was a requirement for us as staff members, which I'm so thankful for. Um, and so, yeah, I really did not know what to expect going in. I just uh, had I'd heard from other people that had gone through it that it was heavy, it was intense. And um, so I knew that. I literally had no idea what was about to happen. Um, to my heart, to my worldview, um, through the lenses of which I had been looking and just had been a lot yeah. uh, unaware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you go to this conference, um, you experience this conference in a lot of different ways, and I'm sure there were so many different things that happened, but you go and then come out and take yourself back to just right after you've been through that conference. Like, what what was going through your head? What were you thinking? What were some of the biggest takeaways at that point that you were like, okay, what do I do with this? Yeah. Um, so much. Um, I think one of the biggest things I, um, I walked away from the conference thinking was there is so much I need to learn. Like, my eyes are really just beginning to open for the first time. And um, and when I say beginning to open, I mean, like, beginning to really see color, see race um, in a way that I never had before. Seeing my own um, whiteness and white privilege and what that meant. And so I, I knew that I've got a lot to learn, and I was so eager to want to... Um, to, to just start um, finding as many resources as possible to continue this cross-cultural engaging, which is for a lifetime. Um, it's not like you ever graduate from it. Uh, as long as sin is a problem, this is going to be a problem. And so um, really um, coming out of it with just a hunger, a brokenness in my own heart and a hunger to want to begin this journey of seeing understanding and acting and finding out what that looks like yeah um and I think I remember you know right after the conference for those of y'all listening um she called me (laughs) I was living in California at the time and um she called me and she was explaining all this to me and just where her heart was and me on the other end being her friend but being African-American was honestly just in shock because we had never had these conversations before. And so it was just really cool to see the beginning of what the Lord was doing, which I know we're going to get into. Um, So you talked a little bit about uh, white privilege. And so what, 
and you said, you know, realizing that in your life, that was one of the things you realized. So can you explain, go deeper, like, what is that to you and what made you realize it in your life specifically? And how, how did you begin seeing it in your life? Yeah. If you can give examples. Uh, okay. So, uh, what a privilege. Um, I'm going to be honest, like showing you how oblivious I was coming into this conference. I had never even heard of this, let alone knew what it was. Um, and this in and of itself is a white privilege, which I can unpack more later. But to me, white privilege is an unearned perks or advantages that I have simply because of the color of my skin. And the way that Peggy McIntosh describes it in her article about white privilege um, is she says white privilege, she sees it as like an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. And I think invisible is a key word that she uses. Um, So Propaganda, who is a brilliant hip-hop artist, talked about about it this way, kind of. He talked about being in, like, the dominant culture um, is like being in the Milky Way. You're in it, but you don't see or know that you're in it. Does that make sense? So, like, growing up being white, I was surrounded by white privilege in every way, um, but I never saw it. Mm -hmm. And it was this invisible knapsack I had on that was giving me advantages in life that I was so oblivious of, while at the same time blind to the fact that um, people who were not white were being put at a disadvantage. And simply, like, by being oblivious to this, I was contributing acting as a participant in a damaged culture as an unfairly advantaged person. Um, So I think some examples of white privilege um, that might help, you know, bring this to light of what this looks like is, for example, um, like I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty much um, assured that like I'm not going to be followed or harassed. Um, That's a white privilege. I can turn on the television and see people of my race widely represented. Um, Like when I'm told about our national heritage or about civilization, I'm shown that people of my color made it what it is. I'm never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. Um, I can even remain oblivious of the language and customs of persons of color who constitute the world's majority without feeling in my culture any penalty for that like being oblivious and that's like the white privilege i was referring to earlier i mean i think literally like i can even go by when i go to buy band-aids band-aids i can choose band-aids in flesh color that more or less matches my skin tone and i mean it just started hitting me in the face once i was awakened to what it was and how much of it surrounds me yeah um and privilege like it impacts even our proposed solutions for racism and even what our, our very definition of racism is, I think. Like, on the privilege side, I saw racism as a matter of just thinking and acting. Like, uh, if, I, like if I'm just not saying racial slurs, then, um, then racism will be no more. But, like racism on the less privileged side is much much more than just how we think or how we dialogue um it's a means by which people have status or get status in society and the structures by which we exist in yeah and so 
I think, like, again, back to the article I mentioned earlier by Peggy McIntosh, in it, she she says, you know, in my class in place, I did not see myself as a racist because I was taught to recognize racism only in individual acts of meanness by members of my group, never in invisible systems conferring unsought racial dominance on my group from birth. And so, you know, for me, now seeing that racism is a systemic problem, a systemic injustice, it's like, it's like, imagine one of those, um, like, conveyor belts in the airport, you know, those, yeah. those things you get on, you don't even have to walk, and it just takes you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like I'm on that conveyor belt. I didn't build that that conveyor belt. I'm just on it. I'm not even having to walk. I'm just standing there, and it's it's moving me forward. All the while, I look over, and my friend, who is a person of color, who is not on the conveyor belt, is working twice as hard just to keep up with me on the conveyor belt. And so, wow, that's so that's so interesting because <laughs> yeah. I I well I've never I mean I've never heard that description, but I think that's such a beautiful picture of it because. Um, that, I mean, that's exactly, that describes it perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, it is working, you you don't start as an equal playing, at an equal playing field and then one is just moving faster by, mm-hmm. by just because. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's it. Exactly. Like what to me, a white person is pretty much invisible or something I never think about to a person of color or something they would see all the time every day that affects their lives and so I think you know like the question that I quickly realized I needed to start asking and understanding was how is my white privilege keeping me from experiencing true fellowship with my brothers and sisters of color and starting to be much much more aware of the white privilege all around me wow that's good that's good. Um, and I think, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but do you think, too, um, just society, surroundings, media influenced or affected um, your understanding of just your understanding of people of, of color or people of different backgrounds in general? Um, do you think some of that came from just society? Some of that just came from maybe not... Up, growing up in a setting where you branched out as much? Um, definitely. Yeah, I, so I grew up with, like, very little exposure to other cultures in my own, um, like my school, my church, my extracurricular activities, aka sports, like, everything is pretty much all majority culture around me. Um, rarely was I ever the minority, and so, I mean, then I, you know, come to college at UNC, and I was exposed to, well, like a lot more cultures suddenly around me, um, but I, like, still <laughs> was just missing it, um, and so I remember I went to East Asia after my freshman year in college on a summer project with crew, and um, I, I came back from that project just with, all of a sudden, um, just my eyes being opened and, um, to actually seeing um, Asians here on campus. I mean, they were always here before I went to East Asia, um, and they're still here, but I just, like, 
I saw them differently when I came back. Like, I actually just, I saw them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, um, yeah. I mean, I also, in college, um, worked with the women's basketball team um, as a strength and conditioning assistant and um, for several years, and um, majority African-American. Um, and even though I was, like, starting to interact more with people who didn't look just like me, I still was just oblivious um and unaware of so much yeah um that's good so you know fast forward and so and going back to you went to this conference and then fast forward and you know that was three years ago and you're experiencing more and more of culture and you know I know this but I just want you to tell kind of the audience in the last two years especially you've done you've really like dived into this um I think something huge that you've done, which I think is can be hard for people, is just even, like, ask for forgiveness, um, you know? And, like, go into steps to even ask for forgiveness. And so I kind of want to ask you that, too. Um, why is that important? Because it's one thing to, like, know about these things um, and now learn about race. Um, but then why is the step of... Y- for you, why was it important to, you know, even talk to people like me and be like, hey, Margaret, I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z, um, or um, lament with me? Like, why was that important right. to you? Um, this, I mean, this was also something um, right after the conference that was on my heart heavy. Like, I wanted to talk to you ASAP. Um, and so, and... Um, one of my other best friends, um, Steph, who is Asian American. I mean, I've lived with y'all. We lived together. Some, literally, my best friends. And um, I, I wanted to call and talk and just, yeah, just like you said, I had to ask for forgiveness um, because never did I ever think, oh, I'm, I'm being racist here. Um, because again, like my view on the privilege side of what racism was was not the full, um, the full story, um, the full meaning of it at all. And so by, um, by not really celebrating your race, um, as a black woman, um, I didn't know it, but at the time was really, um, deflating, that culture and, and the uniqueness and the beauty of, of who God has made you to be. Um, and so um, just my own ignorance of that, I had to, to apologize for and ask for forgiveness. Um, I was just, my heart was broken for it of, um, of what I didn't realize I was, I was doing, yeah. but it really was, what um, really was doing. And so um, I think like the, what you talked about lamenting is, is so important because um, you know, really what lament is, is an expression of regret or disappointment, a grief and a sorrow about the conditions that you're in right now. It's not just grieving over the incident, but it's, it's not being happy until it's over. And I got that definition from um, Jimmy McGee, who is the president of impact, um, ministries and and lamenting is, is so important. You know, it's, it's sitting with crying with, mourning and grieving with our brothers and sisters of color about the systemic injustice and hate 
they continue to face, and it is really necessary, so necessary to lament. Uh, I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible in the um, dedicated to it called Lamentations. Um, <laughs> but um, on this side of heaven, you know, there is always going to be lamenting and hope. I mean, it's a, it's a mixture because yes, we um, we have Christ, we have that hope. Um, that he is redeeming all things and reconciling all to himself. And so it's it's a mixture of hope and lament. But um, lamenting is so important, and my heart was broken for seeing that need to lament um, with, with you um, and with our brothers and sisters of color. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think that's a, that's a hard one, um, you know, for me on the other side of things. Um, and I can't speak for all people of color, but for me personally to, for you to come to me and say, I'm here to grieve with you and I'm here to just listen and understand without trying to say something or without trying to have some sort of response, but just to hear my heart that was beautiful that was beautiful um and so i just you know to just to people listening and whether you're well one if you're in a majority culture um i think it is important to hear your your brothers and sisters in christ before you decide before you decide you know the answer before you decide whether um you actually believe what they're saying but hear them first i mean yeah. i think that's only fair and i think um, God uses listening. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that could be shocking, but I mean, he does, he does. And so, yeah, that, that's really good to hear. Um, and so why, I mean, you, you tell people listening, why, why is this racial, racial reconciliation so important? And I, I think you, you coming from a majority culture, what, like if you were speaking to the majority culture, why is it so important? Why why do they have to be a part of it? Mm, uh, yeah, that is that's a good question. Okay, um, why is racial reconciliation important? Um, the gospel isn't colorblind, um, but the opposite. It is color bold. It's color engaging. God wants us to see color, to see race, because collectively. We form something beautiful, a fuller picture of the image of God. And racial reconciliation is important because it's the gospel. It's what Jesus came to earth and died for, to reconcile us to himself, and then giving us the ministry of, sec- of, of reconciliation, Second Corinthians 5. Um, and then even, you know, Ephesians 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby yeah, killing that's good. Yeah, so it, it's not only what Jesus so clearly came for and died for, but it's, it's even what he prayed for and prays for. I mean... If you look at John 17, he's praying that we would all be one, 
just as he and the Father are one, so that the world may believe that God sent his son Jesus, who loves them. And so, is racial reconciliation important? I mean, I think more than important, it's essential. Like, when we talk about racial reconciliation, we are talking about oneness. Oneness is essential because of where it comes from. It it comes from the Trinity. Like, the Trinity is oneness in its foundation, and now that sin has divided that, um, for that very sake of division, Jesus put on flesh and died and died for it, to tear down the wall of hostility, that we might be reconciled to him and to one another. And so, honestly, I would say you can't believe the gospel and ignore oneness. You can't. Jesus died for it. And oneness in Christ is one of our most powerful witnesses. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's beautiful, and I think it's beautiful you said, too, um, Jesus is not colorblind, you know, he's he he sees color that's why he created it <laughs> so you know he didn't create us all to look the same he created us all to look different um because he thought it was beautiful and he thought it was and it was he thought it was good you know and he equally designed us and took time on us because i'm beautiful just like you're beautiful just like you know my next brother and sister of color is beautiful um and so it it is it is just so true and i just think too um if if we are as people um supposed to unify too that means we also carry each other's burden so if i if i'm hurting because of things that have been said or done to me because of my race then then people you know, my brothers and sisters need to walk alongside of me in that. Like, they need to hear me in that and 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 trust me in that. Like, trust that what I'm saying to you, I'm not just pulling out of my butt, you know, but that <laughs> that it is, it is, it is a true statement. If, if you are my friend, then it is a true statement and, and trust me and listen in here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think the whole concept of colorblindness was, like, such an awakening to me um, because, honestly... That was, that was, like, at the heart of what I needed to also ask your forgiveness from because that, I mean, that was how I really saw you. I was like, oh, Margaret, yeah. Oh, no, I don't I don't see race, you know. Um, we're, we're the same. But by doing that, I thought I was, like, avoiding racism, but I was doing just the opposite. I was deflating your own beautiful, unique culture and the differences that we have that God has made in um, each of us um, in his image and um wasn't celebrating that at all and I and I missed so much of that and so that was a huge part of also just what I was coming to the realization of and asking forgiveness for and um now one more than ever um wanting to celebrate um what it who we are in in our in our own skin in our own color and how God's made each of us yeah um so what okay so what steps now 2017 <laughs> what steps are you taking to learn listen reconcile more and in, in things that you know you've decided okay this has to be going forward a part of my life this uh-huh. this this has to be a part of who I am how, how are you going to do that when it comes to race and um people of color and all that kind of stuff yeah um 
I mean, that has been ever since I walked out of, out of the Lindsay's conference, um, my heart and my prayer of, um, God, what does this look like for me? Because I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, being a cross-cultural learner is a continuous, ongoing thing that I will always be in. Like, you do not graduate from it. Um, and so ever since Lindsay's, I am continuously being intentional about how I am seeing, understanding, and acting through taking steps to listen and learn. Um, and, you know, one of the first things I did before I even engaged in much conversation was just listen. I had a lot to catch up on. And so over the past three years and even now and um, as we go on, like, you know, there are resources abounding from articles to books. I mean, just a couple to put out there. Oneness Embraced by Tony Evans. Um, phenomenal. Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Tatum. So good. Um, podcasts. Um, pastors. Like, I had to really step back and think, like, okay, what books am I reading? What pastors am I listening to? And how many of them um, are of another culture or ethnicity that are not my own? And there is nothing wrong with um, the Tim Cullors and John Pipers and all of all of those. Like, I mean, they're incredible, um, such wise men of the Lord. But um, there was so much that I was missing out on um, from people of uh, of color. And um, why am I not, honestly like, but by not um, listening to them and, and seeing um, as they teach on the Word, I'm missing. It's like I'm missing a part of a part of God because um, we are each made in His image in, in unique ways, and um, by listening and being um, being under other people of my race, I'm getting a more fuller picture of God. I feel, and so you know, um, any other resources from from movies to documentaries, yeah, who I'm following on social media, um, and then just like we talked about, like continuing to have those conversations, um, you know, with, with some of my best friends and other people that I work with and just in all, all spheres of, um, of my influence that are of other races yeah. um, and just listening and asking and listening when, when things come up in, in the news, um, devastating things, breaking, um, our, my heart in this country, um, one after the next is, is, not being silent. Silence is killing us. Um, starting the conversation of just letting them know, like, hey, I am mourning with you, and my heart breaks with you. How does this affect you, and how are you feeling, and how can I pray for you? I'm here with you, and literally, like, lamenting, walking with them through that, and um, and, and staying there, not, not leaving, <laughs> because we can, um, but staying with them through that, and so... Um, yeah. These are some, I think, some things uh, that I am constantly um, being wanting to be intentional about. And you keep repeating that it is it is a forever thing and it is a, a constant thing. And I think um, that can scare some people, um, maybe sometimes of majority culture. Um, and I think another thing is, you know, like you said. Si- silence is killing us um, in the sense of it's easier to 
just be like, okay, well, you know, God is sovereign. We love Jesus. Um, and so just not go deeper into, you know, deeper into issues of justice. And maybe if you just like quickly or a quick sentence, can you touch on what, like why that specifically, and you kind of did a little bit, but why that specifically can't be the case? Like, why can we not, um, shy away from it or just, um, say, okay, we're going to talk about this first season and then be done. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, so we can't bop in and bop out, um, because the reality is, um, you know, this is, this still exists. Yeah. Um, and that is really, you know, if you don't know by now from Charlottesville, you know, um, that racism, white supremacy, it's real and it's, and it's, it's sin. And as long as sin is a problem here, the reality devastatingly that persons of color are experiencing. And as, as a white person, um, a white privilege that I have is that I can, I don't, I can bop out and I don't, I don't have to be in and, um, you know, walk with you through this because it doesn't affect me. And that is a choice that I never, I never want to take the easy way out and, and just, and, 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 and leave. Um, I want to stay in and we have to stay in because it's reality and it is an ongoing thing. Um, but I mean, that's, that's just it. Like the gospel is not a call to comfort. Yeah. <laughs> just a room. Um, so it, it is that it's a call to, um, to oneness and in, in whatever that takes to walking alongside, um, our brothers and sisters of color. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. So, but what do you believe when people like the biggest thing that people need to know? Um, what, what is it that should be said? Like if you had a last phrase, a last word, what, mm. what would that be? I know. Um, okay, so I think I would emphasize the fact that unity is not uniformity. Like, uniformity devalues uniqueness and differences. Um, they're not the same thing. Proximity is not authenticity. Oneness is not sameness. They're different. You know, let's learn about other cultures outside of our own. Let's celebrate their unique and beautiful culture mm-hmm. to honor and respect differences instead of minimizing or eliminating them. Like, like I said, start those conversations. Yes, they may be awkward. Okay, yes, they will be awkward. They will be hard and uncomfortable, but they will be worth it. Like, do you believe it's worth it? Mm-hmm. Being majority culture, we have we have privilege. And even though that's still messed up and unfair, we who have privilege can and should steward it for those who don't. Like, you have been given a voice to work on behalf of those whose stories are consistently silenced or ignored and bringing their voice and their story to the table. And so I think I think we have to have a posture of humility and learning, Um you know, choosing to suffer with people out of love for what God wants to do in and, and through them and being willing to learn from them in return. Because I think, I think that's the challenge for us as the majority culture is our willingness to experience 
change, like both on a heart level and like in how we like to relate to others, but also in how we like to work. And so what might it, you know, what might it look like if we opened ourselves up to the possibility that that God wants to use us to help rewrite a new story that includes and affirms all peoples. Like it starts with understanding ourselves and the lenses through which we've been and are seeing and understanding um, and experiencing the world and the way we relate to others and then learning and understanding the lenses through which people of other cultures are seeing and experiencing the world. Yeah. And then, you know, ultimately with the this transforming vision of a God more vast and beautiful than we have, have known. Like before him, one day, people from every tribe, every nation will gather clothed distinctly and unashamed in the dignity of their uniqueness. I mean, that is the picture of Revelation 7. And so, you know, bringing it back, if I could quote propaganda one more time. (laughs) um, You know, he said, we're supposed to be seasoning each other. Like me making you a better you and you making me a better me, bringing out the best flavors in each of us. And I love that because, like, as majority culture, if we just stick to our majority culture circle circles and are not intentional and in being cross-cultural learners and doing life authentically with other people that don't look like us, okay, I'm a, I may be going out on a limb here, but just stick with me in this analogy. Um, so, okay, it's like, <laughs> it's like we're eating, um, it's like we're eating tortilla chips, okay? Yeah. Tortilla chips. Now, now tortilla chips are good, okay? Sure. But you you start adding salsa, you put some queso, maybe some guac, and get some beans and cilantro, and then... She loves beans. You've got nachos, people. Like, all of that mixed together in one big pile of nachos is so much better and flavorful than just tortilla chips by themselves. And then, you know, vice versa. Like... I could have a spoon and guac, and I'm not mad at that, but, <laughs> I mean, you put a tortilla chip in the guac, and it's delicious. Um, it's just so much better. So, we need each other. Like, yeah. when we come together, like, a big, delicious bowl of nachos, we collectively form a fuller picture of the image of God. Yes. <laughs> okay. She's... She's the food queen, by the way, and, and about, she, food analogies, that is so jerk. Um, no, but I, I love that analogy, and I just love, um, I mean, just kind of to end this, or um, wrap it up, but that we do form a fuller picture of God together, and the reality is, um, you know, if, if you believe in heaven, if you're listening to this and believe in that, the Bible clearly states that, you know, every tr- tribe every nation, um, is going to be in heaven. Like people of all cultures and backgrounds are going to be there. People are going to be singing in different languages. Um, and I, and I truly believe culture will be there, you know? And so, um, we are not, we don't all look the same now and we don't all have the same culture now. And I don't think we will in heaven. And I think that's what, how God intended it. And I think that's the beauty of, mm-hmm. of, Christ and so if you I mean this if you are not actively seeking this I I just challenge you look at your circles look at your friends what do they look like um you know 
do you hang do you, are do you only know people that look like you and if so i mean no wonder no wonder you have no concept of what's going on because you have no communication with people um that are experiencing what's going on and so thanks yeah, girl Listen, you put all that in your life. It's so good. Yes. Um, Thanks, girl. This has been such a good topic. And I know, um, again, those of y'all listening, this was definitely more topical. Most of the other, majority of the other podcasts are going to be just more people's stories. But I just really thought this was important. And I really wanted you to share her experience because I've been in her experience and I've been hearing about it and we have talked about deep things and cried together and um, she's let me be frustrated and be mad and say things and it's just been beautiful how because of because of her learning this um, how God has grown our friendship more because now I can talk to her about more things than I ever could um all right so Drew I'm gonna ask you two the two questions that are very great um that people are gonna hear every episode okay but the first question is if you could go to lunch with anybody dead or alive if they can be famous or not famous they could be your neighbor whatever who would it be and why all right so first of all first of all I gotta put the setting in place here. Um, I'm gonna be. She's all about sure. this, y'all. For those of y'all um, listening. Yeah. Yes. So setting is very important. I'm definitely gonna be um, at Flowers Cafe in Toulouse, France. Um, just the uh, so France, the epitome of France. Of you know my my espresso. Um, probably gonna have another another latte perhaps um and you've been there right i have been there yes uh last summer got to lead uh, a soccer tour with aia and just stumbled upon this gem of a place so you know i'm going back um at some point to have lunch um with i'm getting ready to intro um anyways you know i'm gonna have my my dessert some sort of delicious cheesecake perhaps um an eclair, you know, um, it's just, it's going to all be there. I'll be there. So anyways, there we are. And who is it? (laughs) And it's going to be with Taya Smith. Okay. For those of you who don't know Tay Tay, Taya is the lead female vocalist in the Christian music group from Australia, Hillsong United. Um, so why Taya? Um, okay. Worship is, is huge for me. It's like, really one of the ways I feel God's presence most um and man I don't know what it is but Taya leads worship in such a way that unlike anyone else it just leads me straight away into the presence of God um she she leads with such like a a humility of like the spotlight is not on me even though she's incredibly talented, but like putting it all on Christ, just so genuine, so passionate. Um, yeah. I mean, plus I think we could actually be friends. Um, you know, she skateboards. I love to longboard. I feel like we could go skateboarding <laughs> together. Um, I mean, also my love for anything retro Adidas is totally inspired from her. It just is. Um, really? 
So it is. It's Altea. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Love Chick Fil A. I think so. I mean, of course that. Um, but okay, yeah, it's Taya. I think we're around the same age. Um, so you know, Taya, if you are ever stumbling across the podcast, podcast <laughs> um, let's go to lunch. Bring uh, your board. Okay, y'all. Yeah. You heard it here first. So if Taya ever listens to this. Drew Burgess would like to go to lunch with you. Um, um, okay, so the next one is if you could give encouragement to anyone. And so what you're going to do is you are going to pretend as if this person is sitting in front of you and you are talking to them directly. So you're going to say their name and then you're going to say what you would say to them. Like, how would you encourage them? Yeah, okay. Um... Yeah, I mean, I knew this question was coming, once again. Yep. <laughs> but why is it so hard? Like, literally, I'm because... thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, this person needs encouragement, and this, at the end of the day, we all need and could use a little bit of encouragement, and I'm like... That is oh. true. That is true. But, so... Okay, okay, here, I'm just, I'm just gonna dive in. Alright, so, encouragement, number one, goes to my girl... Emily Godwin, and I have had the privilege of discipling her for the past few years. She is a student athlete here at UNC on the track and field team, and this is now her, she's she's doing a fifth year. She's a fifth year senior, um, and yeah, I just, I just was meeting with her today, and um, just, just hearing how she's feeling for the semester and for the year, and Emily, I just want to say to you that this fifth year is not on accident. You know, you are here for one more year for a purpose. And I believe more than anything that God is going to use your voice to speak into your teammates and the girls that you're discipling more than ever. Um, I want to say to just throw your voice in this whole year into his hands and watch what he does in and through you. Um, I am so proud of you. Um, and just so privileged to get to walk through life with you um, for this extra amazing year that it's going to be. Um, so, yeah, use your voice. Use your voice. Use your voice, girl. Well. And to everyone else listening, I hope you enjoyed this. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And I really hope you come back next week and listen yeah. to more.